This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. If you're excited about studying God's Word this morning, turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. As we continue our spiritual disciplines sermon series this fall, spiritual disciplines which are grace-driven habits that help us, aid us in pursuing godliness. And we have looked at some disciplines this fall that are probably very familiar to you. Disciplines like meditating on the scriptures, or praying, or fasting, evangelism, worship. Those are disciplines that we think a lot about in the Christian church and in Christian discipleship. This morning, we're coming to a discipline uh, that there aren't a lot of people who would consider this a discipline per se, um, but I know in my life, this is a discipline that has enormous effect in my life, and it's had an enormous effect in Christians' lives for 2,000 years, and we see it in the Scriptures, and, and I believe it's something that we need to talk about and address in a sermon series on spiritual disciplines. And when we think about confession, there are a myriad of things that could pop in our minds. And I want you to think just for a moment, when we think about confession, confession of sin, process in your own mind right now, what, what do you think about? Um, it, it could be uh, an experience from a past church experience um, where you literally go into an enclosed box and you confess your darkest secrets and confess the sins of your life to a priest uh, to another church leader, and it's there in that com, uh, compartment, and it's left there. Uh, others of you, you may think about confession, and you may even think about the worldly sense of confession, where a, a criminal confesses to his crime in open court. Your confession could just simply be a, a, a list or, or a paragraph, a confession of faith that you have recited in open worship um, during church services, throughout your Christian experience. There are a myriad of things that we might think about with confession. Some of them right, some of them maybe not exactly right in the Christian sense. And so what I want to encourage you to do, as best as you have opportunity today, try your hardest to set aside what preconceived notions you have about confession and I want you to kind of just lay those down for a moment. And I want to open the scriptures together and look at what the scriptures tell us about confession, about sin, about holiness, and how we as Christians are to operate in this realm in our daily Christian walks. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that if we hold to the things that we're going to look at today in scripture, and if we will practice these things, for some of us, we will begin practicing them for the first time ever. For others of us, we may even rekindle something that perhaps we did before, but we've been really lackluster in recently. But here's what I believe. If we will practice these disciplines, the way in which we're going to look at them in the Scripture today, I really believe that this has the ability of bringing to our own hearts enormous measures of peace in our own lives, Peace with ourselves, peace with our God, and peace 
with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this morning, as we walk through the scriptures together, we're going to go to the book of 1 John. Because John, in his first epistle, this is the same apostle John, whom Jesus called, the, it was the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the same John who, at the cross of Jesus Christ, while Jesus is dying, Jesus looks at him and basically says, you are now my mother's son, and my mother will be your mother. He was that close to Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. If anyone knew what was on Jesus' heart, it was the apostle John. And John is writing to a first century group of Christians who had a lot of confusion about what it meant to walk in light, to walk in holiness, what authenticity looked like, what assurance looked like in a Christian's mind. And beginning in 1 John, you get to verse 5 after he gives his prologue. And beginning in verse 5, John writes this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This short paragraph is rich. It's rich this morning. And so I want to encourage you to come to the treasure chest of God's word today and internalize these golden coins in your heart so that you may live in peace with yourself, with your God, and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's, let's lay some foundational realities today as it pertains to Christian discipleship. So here are just some foundational realities of the Christian walk, of our Christian experience that we see in this text. And these are just basics before we get into the heart of the discipline of confession. Number one is this. God is holy. Okay? God is holy. And we need to be reminded of that today. And that's actually where John starts in this conversation. He doesn't start with the first century Christians and talking about their own sin or their own darkness. He starts by laying the barometer. Here's the barometer by which we are all measured. Here is the goal to which we are all attaining. It's to be like God, and God is holy. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, throughout the scriptures, light and darkness is used metaphorically to talk about holiness and sin. And so light is pointing our attention to the holiness, the purity, the moral integrity and righteousness of our God. And darkness is pointing towards the sinful depravity of the human heart. And so God is light. Human beings are dark. God is 100% pure perfection light. We 
in our sinful state, our lost state, are blackened by the sinful, the sin of our own sinful hearts. But I want to also point you to towards something else that this light and darkness means in the context of thinking about sin and confession. With God, God is light. And in the light, just like in this room, just like in the daylight hours as you walk outside, in the light, everything is exposed. It's very difficult to hide things in the light. But in the darkness, it's very easy to hide. In the darkness, it's very easy to conceal. And what John is pointing our attention to is that with God in his perfection, in his holiness, everything is exposed with him. He is here for your seeing. He is here for your gazing. God does not hide aspects of himself to human beings. We see his greatness. We see him in his infinite beauty. He, does have, he has nothing to conceal. Human beings, on the other hand, in our darkness, we want to conceal, don't we? We want to hide. We want to keep things from our, to ourselves. We want to hide the things of our lives from God. We want to hide the things that are not of God <clears throat> to others. We don't want to be fully known. So God is holy. We need to lay that first foundational reality of the Christian walk. A second foundational reality is this, that God expects us to be holy. God expects us to be holy. You go down to verse 7. But if we walk, so there's the subjunctive mood, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Let's just stop there. But if we walk as he walks, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So there is an inference we could take here that the scriptures are expecting you, expecting me to walk as God walks, to be like God. And I would just tell you that that is the whole goal of the Christian faith. If you were here today and you were investigating the claims of Christ, if you're investigating what it actually means to be a Christian, I want you to know this truth this morning. Being a Christian is not about moral improvement. It's not about putting a spiritual side of you so that you might be a little more well-balanced person. The ultimate goal of Christianity is to be like God. Peter tells it like this, that, that we are to be holy as God is holy. Now, on this side of heaven, we will never be that holiness in complete perfection as we walk on this earth. But God will declare us holy in his judicial sense so that he keeps our sins not against us anymore. But the whole hope is that as we walk this side, every day, each passing day, each passing week, with each passing year, we are more conformed to look like God than we did the year before. And so God is holy. He expects his people to be holy. Therefore, a third foundational reality is this. We must not perpetuate sin in our lives. We must not perpetuate sin in our lives. Now, now here's the tension. That when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we repent of our sin, and we turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And he forgives us of our sin for all of eternity. And then he declares me perfect in his judicial sense 
But then there's that tension because on any given day, I as a Christian, I still find myself doing things I'm not supposed to do. And I find myself not doing things that I'm commanded to do. Can I get anybody else to testify to that? Right? We, that, that's the human experience as a Christian. So there's tension there. John says in verse 6 that if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John, what are you saying? Are you saying that if I profess faith in Jesus and I still sin, that I'm not a real Christian? That real Christians never sin? And then you go over to chapter 3 of John, of First John, and he's even more specific here. And in verse 8, he says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. So John, what are you saying here? And there are denominations, actually, brothers and sisters, who have extrapolated from this text that anyone who professes faith in Jesus, if you say you have been born again, then you will not sin anymore because a true Christian will not sin. That is missing the point of what John is saying. So what is John really saying? Well, I don't know, preacher man. We're waiting on you to tell us. Stop leaving us in suspense here. The key to understanding these passages are these participles. Participles are ongoing action. And when you look at verse 6, he says, if we have fellowship with him while we walk, hold on to that. And then if you look at chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, whoever makes a practice of sinning. The language here is pointing towards this. If you were walking in obstinacy to God before you came to faith in Jesus, there were patterns in your life. You were not walking in holiness. You did not care about the holiness of God. But then you come to faith in Jesus Christ. But then after coming to faith in Jesus Christ, there is no discernible difference in the way you used to walk and the way you walk now. Then you have to truly ask yourself, have you truly been born again? Because before we come to Christ, we perpetually walk in sin with really no recognition of it. We just do it. But once we come to Christ, we start putting aside those things that we used to walk in. And sure, we may stumble and fall here and there, but our lives start to look different. And so because God is holy, and because he expects us to also be holy, therefore, if you are in Christ, we are to no longer accommodate or to simply perpetuate an ongoing sin like we used to. But we know that tension's there because we do still sin from time to time, right? And so when we do sin, here's the fourth foundational reality that we need to learn from John's letter here. But when we do sin, there is a pathway for restoration. There is a pathway for restoration. In verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's the tension we're going to walk in today. That as followers of Jesus, we are confident in the cross of Jesus Christ. We are confident that the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, is sufficient enough to save me from my sin, my sin nature, for all of eternity. While at the same time, as I walk as a Christian in new life with Jesus, I am going to continually be beset by an ongoing sin nature that causes me to come before God confessing sins, plural, on any given day. So he has forgiven me of my sin nature and will never hold that against me anymore. But my sins on a daily basis should be brought before God so that I may be restored in that fellowship with him on a regular basis. And so here's the central truth that I want us to see, and then we're going to look practically at how we grow in this discipline of confession. So growing in the discipline of confession leads us to walk in peace with ourselves, with God, and with others. That's the primary purpose of confession for us practically in our lives, that it brings us peace in our own minds, it brings us peace in our relationship with God, and it also brings peace with the brothers and sisters in the church. So here's what I want us to see. I want us to see three ways that we should confess. Oftentimes, we simply think about confession as me being in a private room talking to God or in a private booth Uh, talking about my sins, but I want us to to expand our ideas of confession today, and so I want to encourage you to regularly confess your sins in three different ways. Number one, regularly confess your sins to yourself. That may surprise you this morning. Regularly confess your sins to yourself. What in the world does that mean, Chris? I have no power to forgive sin. Confession is not just about forgiveness. Confession is also about restoration. Confession is also about peace. Okay, let's look at the text. Look at verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Okay? I actually want to appeal also back to Psalm 32. Because if you're looking for a really good um, companion scripture in the Old Testament to relate with 1 John 1, it's Psalm 32, where the psalmist writes this in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. By the way, Christ follower... If you have turned to Jesus for salvation and you are walking in Christ, that's the reality of your life today. You are blessed. There's another translation that says it this way. How happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The Lord counts no sin against you if you are in Christ today. And we should all be very grateful for that truth today. But look at the last part of verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So the psalmist says that if we say that we have no sin, 
that we're being deceitful. John says that if we say we have no sin, we are being deceitful. And so a part of confession is at some point, you and I, in the privacy of our own minds, must come to grips with the fact that we have, in fact, sinned. We've got to stop and consider how we have sinned against the Lord. It could be that you are driving in your car and you are less than kind to the man who is in front of you. And you say things and you get angry in such a way that you know that this is not honoring to God because you know what the scriptures say about anger and lashing out towards others. It could be that you have had a conversation with a brother or sister in this room and you know that in that conversation that you disclose some confidential information about someone that you shouldn't have disclosed and that turned into gossip, and you walk away from that, and you recognize with a, with a level of guilt and conviction that you have sinned against your brother or sister by gossiping about them. It could be unholy thoughts in your mind. It could be lust. It could be things like pornography. It, it could be dishonoring God with your money, or lying on your test, or lying to your boss at work. But at some point, you're reading the scriptures, and something illuminates to you that, oh, This says not to do this, but I have done this. And so in my mind, I come to grips with the fact that I have sinned and I have sinned in this way. And so first, we regularly confess our sins to ourselves because we have to come to grips with the fact of what we have done. As I said earlier, a part of what is meant by walking in darkness is simply hiding sin. And you see, we can even lie to ourselves. Yeah, we lie to God, and yeah, we may lie to others, but we also lie to ourselves. And it could even cause us to shrink back in this unholy and unhealthy self-justification of what we're doing or what we've done. Because if we're not coming to grips with what we've done, we almost accommodate it and give ourselves permission because we can even convince ourselves This is just who I am. This is just who I am. And that's not holy. That's deceiving ourselves. And so first of all, confess your sins to yourself. Secondly, regularly confess your sins to God. Regularly confess your sins to God. Now now here's where we diverge from some of our 21st century Western philosophy or 21st century Western psychology. Dealing with our regrets, dealing with our sin, or dealing with our pain that our sin has caused us is not something that should just simply be internalized where we come to grips with it ourselves and then we leave it there. No, we go to a second confessional, and that's confessing to God. That we actually come before God and we confess to Him our sins. That's what we see in verse 9. If we confess our sins. The assumption there is that we will confess our sins. The invitation is there for us to confess our sins to God. Here's what confessing sin to God means. When I confess my sin to God, what I am saying is God, I agree with what your word says. 
Your word says that I should not gossip. Your word commands me not to lust. Your word commands me not to act out in bits of rage and anger. And I agree with you that your way is best. But I also agree with you and confess to you that I have done that which you have strictly forbidden me from doing. And so, Father, I want to bring that before you and confess to you and agree with you that this is not something that honors you. It does not honor myself, and it does not honor my brothers and sisters or my fellow human beings. So we should regularly confess our sins to God. Now, here's a way I want you to understand this because I think this is really helpful for us because we really can get into a temptation of thinking that because I sin, does this mean that I'm no longer a Christian? Or I must not really be a really good Christian because if I was a really good Christian, then I would never sin. Then brothers and sisters, I must not be a real Christian. Your pastor must not be a real Christian if real Christians never sin because real Christians do still sin. So how do we wrestle with that tension I talked about earlier about how God declares me holy and perfect, but yet I still walk in imperfection? All right. First, understand this. We initially confess to God. Okay? So this is when we're not walking with God. We have not become a Christian yet. And we come to Christ and we pray giving our lives to Jesus. So we initially confess to God for relationship, for relationship, because the scriptures tell me that in my lost state, I am estranged from God, I'm separated from God, I'm even an enemy of God, the scriptures tell me, and what I need is I need to be in right relationship with God, and the way we get into right relationship with God is we repent or turn from our sin nature We confess to God that we are a sinner. And yes, we could even confess specific sins that we know that we've dishonored him in. And we turn towards Jesus in faith. And God, by his promises, saves us by our faith, by turning away from our sin and turning towards Jesus. That is that initial confession. Okay? And that restores right relationship with God. And I would even go so far as to say it establishes your relationship with God. And if you are in Christ, brother and sister, there is absolutely nothing that will ever separate you in that relationship with God. There's nothing you can do to separate you. So when you come to confess now as a Christ follower, you are not confessing in order to be made a Christian again. You're not confessing in order to get that relationship again. The relationship is established. You folks who are married in the room, when you wrong your spouse, and then you come and you say you're sorry, every time you wrong your spouse, does that mean you're no longer married? No, there's a ring on your finger, there is a covenant There's a covenant that was made and established on that wedding altar. That relationship is established. So you never have to question that, right? You don't have to question your relationship with God. So we initially confess for relationships. So why do we continually confess? 
Because I mean, if Jesus has forgiven me once and for all, why does it matter? Well, secondly, we continually confess for fellowship. We continually confess for fellowship. Just as we humanly wrong each other in our interpersonal relationships, if we go on as if nothing happened, we're going to sense some distance in that friendship, aren't we? We're going to sense some distance with our spouse. We're going to sense some distance with our roommate because there was a breach. There was an offense. And the way you bridge that breach is by confession, by apology, by forgiveness, right? And then we move forward. It's very similar, but yet on a cosmic level. When you and I sin as Christ followers, it it breaches our fellowship with God. The relationship is still there, but but there's a fellowship that's that's been harmed a bit. And so confession is the means by which I am agreeing with God that I did wrong, and then I receive that forgiveness, and he restores me unto his self. And that restoration is instantaneous. Now, it may take us a little bit, a little while to feel that restoration, but from his perspective, the restoration is immediate. If you're anything like me, you have really blown it numerous times before God as a Christ follower. And on any given day, you fail him in small ways uh, multiple times. And have you ever really blown it spiritually speaking, and then you almost fall into this mentality of, well, God doesn't want anything to do with me now, and I'm even kind of embarrassed to come before him. And so rather than running to God, my sin causes me to do what? Run away from God. And so I don't want to pray. I don't want to read the scriptures. I may, not, I may even feel embarrassed to come to church or to serve because that's just kind of, it's wearing in my heart. And, and if you've ever felt this before, whenever I start hiding my sins and I'm running away from God, there's just this gnawing in the depths of my heart. And no matter how happy I may seem to be on the outside, there's just that unease that I'm feeling down deep in the depths of my soul. Have you ever been there before, or is this just me? You, are you tracking? I, I love Psalm 32 because the psalmist goes on and writes about this. See if you see yourself in the text here. In verse 3, he writes this. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you been there before? When when you're hiding and when you're running away from God and because you know what you did, you know what you've done and you just feel that weight. But then look look at the contrast in verse five. But I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Brother, sister, not only do we regularly confess our sins to ourselves, 
but we regularly confess our sins to our God. And I'm going to tell you this. No matter what you do on any given day, remember this truth. Your God is far more ready and far more willing to forgive you for your sins than you are to bring your sins before him. And so allow that truth, allow that fact to overcome your feelings of unworthiness and your feelings of embarrassment and bring your sin before your Father and simply confess it to Him and then just receive the wellspring of grace and the forgiveness that He brings. Because First John, he goes on to say, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In case you're keeping score this morning, that's good news. That's good news. So regularly confess your sins to yourself. Regularly confess your sins to God. Thirdly, regularly confess your sins to others. Regularly confess your sins to others. Now by others, I primarily mean fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean the body of Christ. And I want you to see this in the text. Now there is an inference in verse 7 but we're going to see it in more stark, imperatival command in just a moment. In verse 7, he writes this, If we walk in the light, in other words, if we don't hide our sins or act as if we don't have sin, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I don't want you to miss this. John seems to be saying that if we are walking as if we don't have sin, and if we're not confessing our sins, that that lack of confession and that lack of openness in my heart actually harms the fellowship of the body. If we take it from the negative connotation. He's doing it positive here, right? Because if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And So brother and sister, I, I know that it's hard to bring someone else into our lives. It's hard to open up about the quiet places. It's really hard to look a brother or sister in the eye and tell them some of the most embarrassing details of our lives. But I would make an argument to you that if you're one of those Christians who constantly hides from other people, and you might even be content with just coming to grips with sin yourself and bringing your sin to God. But if you are one of those Christians who wants to hide your sin from other Christians, you're not experiencing the peace that comes through Christ in the fullest measure that you could be experiencing. Because there seems to be something about the act of confessing sins to one another, to another live human being, that is an element, an ingredient in bringing us restoration and peace in the fullest sense in our hearts and in our minds. What John infers here, what we can infer from John in 1 John chapter 1, we see it in stark command from James's brother, Jesus' brother James, uh, in the book of James. In James 5.16, this is a direct 
command from the scriptures. He writes, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So you see what I'm saying? We're getting this straight from the scriptures, that there is an aspect of healing and peace that is going to lack in your heart and in your mind if you only keep your sins between you and God. There is a healing process that comes from confessing to another human being. Now, I want to show you how we should confess to one another because I think we should confess to one another in a couple of different ways. Number one, we should confess our sins to one another proactively. Proactively, meaning that I have close brothers and, and, and mainly, uh, most of the time, this needs to be same gender, I would say, is the wise way to do this. Is that there's, I, as a man, like, there should be other brothers in my life. Not every brother, but I should have a select group of brothers in my life who have open season, open access to my heart. And ladies, there, there should be other women. There should be mothers in the faith and sisters in the faith who have open season into your heart, into your mind. And, and you're regularly coming before them and you are confessing proactively. Proactively meaning you're having conversations about, I just want you to know that this is my proclivity. That I have certain sins that just seem to entangle me and entice me more than others. And so I'm sharing this with you because I need you on my team. And I want you to know what's going on in my life. Because if you see these things, I want you to help me know it so that I don't continue to do them. I, I think about some of our brothers and sisters or family members who have serious allergies and have allergic reactions. It could be things like nuts. It, it could be bee stings. Um, they, they might struggle with hives and, and things like that because of the serious allergies with which they struggle. And because of the medical advances that God has gifted us with in the, in the West, we, we have something called EpiPens. Um, how many people know what an EpiPen is? Okay, how many people have ever had an EpiPen stuck in you? Okay, I haven't, and I'm very thankful for that. But for those of you who struggle with this, I want you to know that my heart is with you because I know that this can't be easy for you to live life this way, knowing that on any given day, if you're exposed to just the right thing, you, you could go into shock, and it could really affect your body. But thank God for EpiPens, because what, what an EpiPen is is an auto-injector of epinephrine, and what that does is it, it brings things in your body back in balance so that you don't suffer greater harm, and, and it could even lead to possible death. And it acts very quickly to improve your breathing and to stimulate your heart. It drops the blood pressure. It could reverse hives or reduce swelling in the face or the lips or the throat. Now, here's the reality of our friends and our brothers and sisters who live with the reality of an EpiPen. When a doctor prescribes that for you, he tells you how to use it and gives you the instructions so that you know what to do. And if that doctor is worth his salt, what that doctor is also going to do is to make sure that there are other people in your life who know about the EpiPen, that they know what the allergy is, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your roommate, your spouse, 
Make sure that they know what your allergy is. Make sure they know where the pen is. And make sure they also know how to use it in case you're incapacitated. Now, we understand that medically because that's called accountability. Brothers and sisters, what I really believe that proactive confession is with our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers in the faith, it's, it's like telling them where, what our spiritual allergies are. That you need to know that this is what I suffer with. You need to know that this is where I could easily go down those roads. And if I do, I need you to know that I want you to call me out. And that calling me out is the auto-injector. That, that, that challenging me is the EpiPen because I, I, need, I, I need resolution in my heart. So we should confess to one another proactively. We should also confess to one another reactively. You see, there are a lot of times that when I'm confessing to my brothers in my life, that I'm doing that proactively because I want them to know that I'm not perfect. And I want them to know where my vulnerabilities are. And I think that proactivity is a really good thing in the Christian faith. It's a good defense. But, but then there are the times where I really blow it. And I blow it in great measure, or I may blow it in small measure. And my temptation, this is Chris James' temptation. My temptation is to hide that, or to make excuses for that. And I even convince myself that I don't need to tell, I, I don't need to tell about that. Like I, I can just keep that between me and God. But there are times where reactively, because of what I've experienced or what I've done, that I need to go racing towards my brother. Ladies, you need to go racing towards your sister. And as you're sitting down and you're having lunch or you're sitting down having a Bible study, it's just the two of you. You say, I need to share something with you. I, I, I have been struggling with this. And I want you to know that I've confessed to myself and I recognize that it's sin and I don't want to sit in that. And I want you to know that I've brought it before God and I really do believe that I've experienced his forgiveness. But I really believe that in order to honor the scriptures, I need to bring this before you because I want you to know what's going on in my life. And I don't want to walk in the darkness. I want to walk in the light and I want to expose myself spiritually to you and bring you in to my world. And brothers and sisters, here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe this because the scriptures teach it first and foremost. It's still in the authority of God's word, I believe this. But I can also tell you I believe this because of conscious experience. That when we confess sin to ourselves and we come to grips with it in our own lives and then we don't keep it to ourselves but then we bring it to God and we're regularly confessing our sins to the Lord and we receive his forgiveness, and then I bring trusted, close brothers in my life, and I confess my sins to others, there is a peace that passes all understanding. And here's why. It's because I'm walking in the light, and I'm not hiding. I don't have this pretense that I am something that I'm not, because I'm having honest conversations with myself, with my God, and with my family spiritually about what's going on in my life. And there are some of you in this room who are struggling with sin, and it's because you're only confessing in one way and not three ways, or you're confessing in no ways. And I want to encourage you this morning to follow the, and heed the warnings of Scripture, heed the commands of Scripture, and regularly confess 
in these three ways and see if the Lord doesn't bring some healing to your heart and some defense and offense in battling sin. I'm gonna pray for you this morning and then we're gonna sing a song of response. Father, we are so thankful for the grace that comes from Jesus. We're thankful that when we are at our worst, you are at your best. And I pray this morning that you would help us remember that you are far more ready and far more willing to give us a shower of forgiveness and grace than we are to bring our sins to you. And so, Father, I pray in this room right now that you would soften hearts to yourself. Lord, that you would remind us that every one of us in this room, though we may struggle with different things, that there is equality at the foot of the cross because none of us has lived imperfectly, has lived perfectly like Jesus. And so, Lord, because we're all sinners, we come equally to the cross praying for your grace. And I pray that you would encourage each of us to regularly confess to ourselves, to you, and to others. And I pray that as a result, that peace that passes all understanding would guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And you would heal us from our infirmities. And we pray these things in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen.